Hi, this is Natalie Hoffman of FlyingFreeNow.com, and you're listening to the Flying Free Podcast, a support resource for women of faith looking for hope and healing from hidden emotional and spiritual abuse. Welcome to episode 28 of the Flying Free Podcast. Today, I have guest Jenny B., who's the founder and owner of bizmavens.com. Jenny is also an emotional abuse survivor and divorcee and personal friend of mine. And we are going to be talking today about the perks of being divorced. Now, I realize that might sound kind of strange because divorce is not generally thought of as a positive thing. But when you're married to an abusive individual, divorce can be a mercy of God. Many emotional abuse victims are fearful about divorce and what's on the other side. And it's true that walking through divorce is not a walk in the park. It's terrifying. But I always say that when you're married to an abuser, you have two choices, hell and hell. But one hell leads to more hell and the other hell leads to freedom. And it's that freedom and all the perks that come with it that we're going to be talking about today. So welcome, Jenny. Thanks so much, Natalie. It's so fun to be with you. <laughs> we, um, we were talking right before we got started here about a book that we both read that kind of put some, planted some ideas in our minds about what divorce would be like if we ever dared to think about that as a possibility from our marriages. You want to talk a little bit about that? Yeah, this is, um, I don't know if we're mentioning any names here, but I read, oh my word, over the, the course of my 10-year marriage, I read so many marriage books and, you know, and parenting books. And I've always been kind of an intentional person, but I realized um, I had, I had the experience like a lot of women do where it was pretty much on the honeymoon where the mask came off and the really toxic behavior started, uh, you know, with my ex and so, um, but, but as a Christian, I'd always heard, and I, you know, I committed growing up, I'm never going to get divorced, divorce, uh, you know, divorce is not an option. Mm-hmm. And, um, so, so, so many of those books that I read really put a toxic spin on marriage. Like, I'm sure the advice would be fine if you were in a healthy relationship, but if you're not in a healthy relationship, it gives the abuser, the upper hand and a way to exploit and manipulate and take advantage. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, we were talking b- before you hit record over here about this book and the picture that they paint of what happens to divorced women. So I guess you, you'll be sharing yours in a minute, but the, the scene that I remember from that book is where they paint the picture of a divorced woman as like it's an divorce isn't even something you should consider no matter how bad it is because it's like being on a merry-go-round and it only gets uglier every time you go around basically trying to you know prevent people from thinking you would ever get married again or you would ever be looking for love again or that there are any husbands that are better than your husband like <laughs> You're not supposed to fantasize about a, a marriage with anyone else. You're not supposed to fantasize that, you know, your existing husband would not be part of that picture. And it's it was so terrifying. I read this probably two years into my marriage. And I'll tell you, it kept me stuck for the next eight years after that because I kept envisioning this 
you know, this, this merry-go-round and being on the merry-go-round with my children where it only gets uglier. The scenery gets uglier every time you go around. Yeah. That's, I think we can say the name of the book. It's created to be, created to be his helpmeet by Debbie Pearl. Yes. And, yes. Yeah. And I, I just, I don't remember the exact words that she used to describe this, but I remember walking away from this one section of the book where, she, where and envisioning that if you ever got divorced, you would be a woman sitting. I, in my mind, there was a picture of a trailer in a trailer park with a woman who's just living in squalor and, you know, with a, a cotton dress that's got holes and dirt all over it and her hair's stringy and she hasn't been able to have a bath in weeks. Like in the Great Depression. Exactly. Like the Just Bowl. Great Depression. <laughs> <laughs> that's exactly it. <laughs> Grapes of Wrath. Um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and that was your for sure destiny. Should you ever even remotely entertain the faintest thought of having, of getting divorced from, from your husband. And so I, like you didn't even, I never even thought of it. It really, it wasn't even, uh, it wasn't even on the radar as a thought other than that. Oh my word, those poor women who actually do it, you know, they're going from the frying pan into the fire and that's really sad. And I would I wouldn't know. Why would you do that? That's like committing suicide. I wouldn't do that. Yeah. Now to be clear at that time, like now I look back on that and I'm like, Oh, that is so toxic. How could you, um, like, how could you even think so many of the things that are in that book? But at the time, like, you know, when I read this is probably 10, 12 years ago. Now, when I read that I was on board, I was a hundred percent. I had been brainwashed and I believe like I hung on to every word. And I think the reason why and, you know, I'm an intelligent person. It's, it's another fallacy that, you know, intelligent women don't get bait and switched. Right. Um, but I wanted to believe that I had the power to control my, my circumstances, that I had the power within my marriage, that there was something I could do that if I was just good enough or if I just you know, served the best kind of food. And if I was the the best keeper of my home, and if I, you know, was frugal and made my bread from scratch and, you know, soaked all my grains, if I did all of these things that I would end up with a respectful marriage. Right. But it turns out, and that was like a false hope I was clinging to. What it actually did was imprison me. Because I tried and I tried and I look back on it now and I don't necessarily regret it because when I walked away, I knew like I had been the model wife, you know, 98, 99% of the time. Any, any healthy man that was married to a woman who was doing these things would just be kissing the ground she walked on. <laughs> right. But, um, so, so I was able to look back and be like, you know what? I know that I did my best. I absolutely know that I did. But that said, there's this fear. And I remember the process of getting divorced or even content. It honestly, it took, I contemplated divorce for about two or three weeks before I proceeded with it. It was not something that had been in my plans, in my consideration. I didn't, it was not drawn out over years and years and years of 
you know, I, I went from, um, and, and it was some very traumatic things that, that led to this some really extreme things, but, um, you know, always had struggled, always did not realize how unhappy and miserable I was as I was trying to put on my, my Mary Poppins face for my children and homeschooling my children. Um, but that, that three week, four week period there where I was contemplating like finding a lawyer, I was terrified. I thought I was ruining my life. I thought I was ruining my children's lives. I was afraid. Um, I had that, you know, that the dust bowl picture that you just talked about Mm -hmm. and thought that God, I had, I had bit on that, that false belief that, you know, God hates divorce and that basically I was choosing to be a brazen woman and go out on my own full of pride, thinking that I could do better than what God had provided me. And so if in divorcing, I was choosing against God, like all those fears are there. Right. But I could not even have imagined, Natalie, that three and a half years later, life would be so good. Yeah. And so sweet and so positive. And like my very, very worst day that I have now, because, you know, life has ups and downs, but my very worst possible day is better than the best day I ever had when I was married to an abuser. Yep. Yep. It's crazy, isn't it? Yeah. I was going to, let me jump in here too and just say that even though for the people who are listening, even though Jenny, (laughs) Jenny took two or three weeks or three or four weeks to think about divorce. Some of us like myself took two years to think about divorce and even longer. So before we finally pulled the trigger. And so it's different for everyone. And, but, but you know, that sick feeling that you have in your gut when you're thinking, is this really going that direction? I mean, it, it literally makes you feel like literally nauseous and sick. And I had that for two years and I did not, I did not want to get divorced. I really, I really wanted a miracle. I wanted someone to come in and rescue us. I wanted any, I'll, I'll take anything. Just don't let me be divorced. Cause I did not want to go down that. I didn't want my kids to all go to hell. I didn't want to, you know, all of those threats that people had given. So, um, by the time I finally did it, I was just at the place where it, it was so bad that I knew I could never go back. Well, I, I was thinking about killing myself mm-hmm. and I just decided that divorce was probably better than me leaving this earth and leaving my kids behind. So, um, and then I found out what was on the other side of divorce and the divorce, my divorce process was long. It took almost two years, but on the other side was something that was really, it, it was a normal life. I have a normal life now. It's, I wouldn't, it's amazing, but normal, (laughs) absolutely incredible. It's incredible. And that's what we're going to be talking about in today's podcast. So with that long introduction, let's dig in and find out what some of the perks of being divorced are. What's on the other side, Jenny? Well, I think the first thing, you know, that everybody warns you that your kids, that the children from a quote broken home, you know, they have all these statistics that they want to throw at you. And and basically you feel like you're choosing yourself over the well-being of your children if you choose divorce and that, um, you know, in, in divorcing their abusive father, you're breaking their home and they would be okay if you didn't take this action. 
Um, but what I found is actually the opposite. I, I know it's, it's not ideal. Uh, you know, Lord knows, I wish I had been in a healthy marriage with normal problems and normal struggles and difficulties. Right. And then all the, all the upsides of a healthy marriage as well. But mm-hmm. my kids have one healthy home now. Do you know what I mean? Rather than having one, like one home, like the, the quote whole home, it's not a broken home, but rather than have a home where only one place to go, where they couldn't get away, they couldn't hide, they couldn't escape into themselves to get away from the abuse of their mother. Um, who knows if it would have turned heavily onto the children. It may have, it may not have, but a place where they were witnessing just absolutely toxic um, conditions every single day. But so now they only have to be in that environment part of the time. Right. And the other part of the time, since I chose divorce, is I can give them a really healthy, positive, together, like a, a, a family. Like we, we are, my kids and I are a family now. Yep. Well, and they see what normal is before they didn't even have the opportunity to see or experience normal. And now they do, and they can, as they're growing up, they can make their own decisions based on having the experience of both what toxic is and what normal is. And they can make their own decisions about what they want for their own lives in the future. Yeah. And I'm so glad that I did that when my kids were young too. I mean, even it's been the most difficult on my son who's now 12 and we divorced when he was nine. It has absolutely been the hardest on him. But like my four-year-old, my seven-year-old, my nine-year-old, they've, you know, they've got plenty that they've had to deal with, obviously, but they feel that this is a safe and happy place to be. Yes. That's a really, really good point. I've experienced that in my own family as well. Nine kids. So half of my kids were older teenage types and up and the other half were little grade school and down. And well, in fact, my youngest, when I first separated was only one. So, um, and I've talked to many, many abuse survivors, same thing. You get the same story every time. The younger ones do so much better with divorce than the older ones. The older ones really, really struggle because Mm -hmm. they've been, that's all they've known. They've grown up in that environment. That's all they've known. So even when it breaks up, they're not necessarily on board going, this was a toxic environment. How would they know? They don't know anything different. Right. Um, They do come around eventually, especially, I mean, if you, well, all of my kids have come around except my oldest son who was out of the house by the time we, we, uh, separated. So, um, that was all he ever really knew. He doesn't know anything else. And he's never met my, my current husband. Um, he's not involved. He won't get involved in our lives at all, which is really sad, but I'm hoping he'll come around someday. But anyway, yeah, that's just a little tip for those of you who are, have younger kids and you're thinking, you know, I think this is going in that direction. It, it, some of you have to wait because of, for lots of different reasons, financial reasons or whatever, but if you don't have to wait and the only thing that's holding you back is my little kids, what, what will this do to my little kids? Hopefully this will kind of untangle that thread for you and you'll see that that's really not, it's not necessarily a, a reason to hold back. If you're going to go for it anyway, it's better to do it when they're younger than when they're older. Yes, absolutely. And then I would add to that too, kids are so resilient, especially the little ones. Like they're adaptable, they're resilient 
And they don't even, at the younger ages, they don't really even process things that are happening outside of them. They're still very self-absorbed. And so, you know, I can have my children in therapy now and play therapy and Mm -hmm. they have a counselor who listens to them and who is helping them grow in different ways than I'm able to as a mom. So yeah, just, I think being able to give my kids a healthy home, that's probably the number one benefit, the perk of, of being a divorcee of, of, from a really toxic marriage. Okay. Jenny, I know you have some other perks that you want to share, but I, before we move on to those, can we just talk about another perk that's related to this one? And maybe this was on your list. I don't know, but, um, the perk of just being a better parent. Ah, that was my next one. Okay. Awesome. (laughs) Go go for it. (laughs) Well, I mean, I, so I used to I used to think that I had an anger problem. And I used to think that I had a problem with being impatient. And I used to think that I, I, I really had a lot of self-loathing around that because I was showing up. I was really identifying with Paul in the scriptures, like, you know, woe, woe to me, like I, who will deliver me from the body of this death? Just being frustrated because I, I would not be doing the things I knew that I should be doing. And that I wasn't doing the things I should like. I wasn't a great mom. I loved my kids. Mm -hmm. I did my very, very, very best, but I was under fire the entire time. And, you know, I had PTSD and it is so hard to be an amazing, loving, caring, generous um, mom who really is acting in her children's best interest if you are continually under fire from the person who was supposed to be your partner. Um, and you know, having, having my children lined up in front of me and them watching me be shamed and ridiculed and mocked for things as, as simple as, um, leaving a cabinet door open. I mean, I was, I was really scatterbrained at the time. Like I just, I wasn't myself. Mm-hmm. And after divorce, of course, there's, there's a, there's a big process that you go through, but immediately when I got out of that environment and I had a separate home and a separate space, I was able to start rebuilding, like rediscovering who I was as a person and becoming that woman I knew I wanted to be as a parent. Right. Yes. You feel, well, when you're in that environment, you are literally being sucked dry on a daily basis. You're emotionally Mm -hmm. depleted, you're physically depleted, you're spiritually depleted. And then you're supposed to be giving, a parent needs to be on her A game, giving to these kids who are, you know, who need her. And it's really hard for her to be there. So when they're having a meltdown, she may be having an internal meltdown from something, from an altercation with her husband earlier that day. And she's just not in a place. I know that that experience was my regular experience. And for a lot of us, we homeschooled too on top of it. So we did not get any kind of alone time or break. And if, if you're an introvert like I am, where you get your energy from some downtime, you, we, we, I never got that. It was just, it was like I was on duty all the time and I was exhausted on, on every different level all the time. Mm-hmm. Well, but, and life, life is a performance too at that stage. Like uh, you're, you are on stage in front of your children 
And if you love your kids, you're trying to make things look really rosy and beautiful, but there's this internal conflict because you know that you're covering up. And I was following, I was following the advice for years and years and years, always be like, show, show your husband respect more than anything else. Never say anything bad about him. And while I agree that showing respect to any human is, is always appropriate, being respectful, mm-hmm. but I took it to the extreme and I was pretending that things were different than they really were. Like right. the whole thing and that internal conflict of the whole thing being a charade, even in the privacy of my own home with my own children, it was tearing me apart. And it's hard to live a lie and never have a rest from the lie. Yeah. Such a good point. Yeah. So post-divorce, how do you feel like your parenting has improved? Like what are some areas that you feel like, you know, I am, this is a lot, it's, it's easier and my kids are happier with me. Yeah. I used to do, I used to parent a lot out of fear, um, which is understandable that I was in a very fear driven place in my life. Mm -hmm. Um, so I was, I was a fairly harsh disciplinarian. I was like, you know, spanking on the first infraction and delayed obedience is disobedience. And like a lot of these things that I learned from a lot of the parenting books I was reading. Um, and now my parenting has just changed. Like I, back then I had extremely obedient children, but I wouldn't say that I had a really, there was, there was no grace in my house. Yeah. It was the law. We were living under the law and I always took, I always took refuge in the law, quote the law in the rules as a child, because I figured if I can just keep the rules, everything will be fine. Right. And so I, I kind of was passing that on to my children too. If you have to be good enough at this, you have to do this right. You have to make your bed when you first wake up in the morning. No ifs, ands, or buts. You don't complain. You, don't, you know, And if you follow everything to a T, everything will be fine. But if not, I will redirect you. Do you know what I mean? Right. Yes. So it, it was a very law my, I was a very law-based parent back then. And since then, um, you know, having, having experienced the beautiful freedom and the grace of God, especially since I've been divorced, like in a place where I- I'm safe now. Do you know what I mean? Yes. Like I'm not constantly under fire. I'm safe. And so I have a lot of grace in my parenting. That's all I can say. Like I, I no longer worry if my children are acting like children. It doesn't bother me. I'm like, oh, they're acting like children. And, and I can very, um, I can very easily just work with, oh, here, well, you know, here are your choices and this is the consequence, but I hope you'll choose. I hope you'll make great choices today. Right. Uh, I found it so much easier to have a positive attitude myself as a leader. You know, there's that saying that, the mother in the home should not be a thermometer. She, she should be the thermostat. And I find it so much easier now to lead by example than I ever did before. Right. So, you know, and even the ability to coach my children through forgiveness, but at the same time to, to be drawing some really strong boundaries against uh, around the way we treat other people. So like my children, I have four kids. My oldest is 12. My youngest is four. 
And in the last three, three and a half years, we had a lot of conversations. It's kind of like one all long ongoing conversation about kindness and about generosity and how we treat people and how, you know, we don't call people names because it's not respectful. But those were messages I was not even free to communicate before because I was called names all the time in my house. So I almost felt like in calling out those behaviors in my children, I was dissing their dad because he did that all the time too. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Oh, so Uh, much confusion. Yeah. Extreme confusion. But you know, now I'm able to build my parenting. You, You said something a minute ago, Natalie, that really struck me. You were talking about constantly pouring out. And when you're in abusive marriage, it's like even if you're meeting with God every morning, even after, if you're having quiet times like I was, even if you're going to church on Sundays to be filled up and you know being filled up with God, there is somebody who is systematically, your, your partner is systematically going around like with a drill and is drilling new holes in your vessel all the time. Yeah, that's a great picture. So that no matter how much is poured in, and and like you're pouring out to children all the time anyway, that's just the nature of the relationship. Mm -hmm. But you also have somebody who is draining you dry. So you could pour and pour and pour and pour to be filled in, but you'd never catch up with the outflow because they are drilling holes in your vessel just as fast as you're pouring liquid in. Yep. So I would say that to sum this up, it's like a... It's like a, a, an atmosphere of accusation and condemnation versus an atmosphere of grace. Yes. And because, and women who are living in abuse, of course, their atmosphere is complete and total accusation and condemnation all the time. They're living under that oppression. And that just spills out then through us into the lives of everyone around us. Mm-hmm. And and when we, and this is just, I just need to insert this here. When we hear about how marriage is supposed to be a picture of Christ and the church, Christ is not an accuser and condemner. He is a, he brings grace and peace and love. So mm-hmm. a marriage that is, so a marriage with an abuser is actually a picture of Satan and the church. And when you have that, that's going to spill over and poison the children of that union. So, so yes. So one of the perks of, of divorce is getting your children to a place of safety. They're, they can't be in that place all the time because you share custody most often, but they do have a place where they can see the difference and you're getting yourself to that place too, so that you're, so that you can be a better parent and that feels good. Mm-hmm. Okay. So what are some other perks that you came up with? Um, well, I think more than we talked about the, the atmosphere and the, like the family um, kind of the feeling of family in a, a home where you've left a toxic marriage, but also the physical space. Like I never realized until, oh gosh, probably I probably been divorced for three or four weeks. And I suddenly looked around my home one day, I, I woke up and realized there was nothing on the walls. It was barren. Like I was living like a refugee that would be like, don't, don't decorate anything. Don't have, and of course my, my personality was not welcomed. 
And so any reflections of my style or my taste or any reflections of me that were out there were completely rejected. So I had a home that looked like anybody could have owned it. Like a college student could have owned that before they got around to putting up their posters. Do you know what I mean? Right. But I'm sitting here and I, I was telling myself this false narrative, like, oh, I'll just there, there's a design gene and I don't have it. And I made lots of excuses for it. But it was a couple of weeks when I started tasting the taste of, of freedom from abuse. Like all of a sudden I started to get sparks of inspiration and being in like Michael's or something and, and saying, oh, you know, I think I'd like to buy that painting because I really like it. And I want to put it on my wall because it will make me happy. Like it'll make my home nice. And so fast forward three, three and a half years, I love my home. Like my home is now a haven. Mm -hmm. And it's just, it's infused with positive messages and the colors that I love. And it feels like just the physical space feels like a home now. So I don't know if it's, I don't know if all women experience this, but I know that because I was not approved, I, I like stood under judgment all the time. I wasn't allowed. And, and I didn't even feel the personal permission to express myself creatively. Yeah. Yeah. I can totally relate to that. And, and I have talked to many women. Well, even you, Jenny, you've seen in the, in the private Facebook groups that we've been involved in, where um, women will post pictures of their homes after they are out of their relationship, and they'll they'll do the before and the after, and it's it's amazing. The it, it is exactly that. It's an expression of who you are, and you are not because you are not allowed to show up in that relationship. You, uh, um, or even in a lot of uh, the a lot of cases, we're not allowed to spend the money on those kinds of things. We're very. Oh, yeah. um, you know, there's, there's different levels of financial abuse, but there's a lot of control over finances a lot of times in these kinds of relationships. So if you go out and you spend money on something like a picture for the wall, you know that you, there's going to be hell to pay when you get home, even if it's just sideways glances and negative comments and you didn't have permission for that and that's not my taste and why are you putting that on the wall and I don't like that and it's ugly and <clears throat> so it's not even worth it. You know, you get yeah. to the point where you're just, I, I don't, I don't even want to go there. So it's not even worth it. So we'll just, um, I used to, so one of my tricks was I would ask my mom for something for my birthday or for Christmas that was, that I could use to decorate my home with. And then I couldn't, you know, I didn't, I didn't have to worry about the, <clears throat> excuse me, about the kickback because, well, my mom gave it to me. Yeah. You know, so that was kind of how I slowly tried to decorate my house. But if you looked at my house now compared to the house that I lived in before, there is, there's no comparison. Yeah. There's absolutely, absolutely no comparison. The, the house first life. thing that I did when I got divorced, like the first thing that I did is I spent about $500, which to me, like I barely had it. I think we probably ate rice and beans for two weeks to make this happen. <laughs> But I painted my room. Like I, I, I moved my room. I did not want to have the memories anymore. I stayed in the same house for a period of time that we had lived in together. And I had so many horrible memories, especially of my bed, like of my bedroom. I did not want to live in that room anymore. So I switched furniture between the rooms. 
I moved into what had been the office and moved the office into my old bedroom. And I painted the walls the color I chose. Mm. And I bought two new um, night tables that I put beside my bed and I bought myself a bedspread. And I made myself a like a kind of like a sanctuary, a place where I felt good going to sleep there and I felt good waking up there. Yes. You know, that's a really good idea. If there's anyone listening who is in a pl- in a place where they're not able to get a divorce at this time and they need to somehow make it work in their relationship for whatever reason, if you can rearrange things and get yourself so that you can have a space in your home that's just yours and make that yours, that helps. It's very healing. You could go there to pray. You can go there. To, you can make it your bedroom. You can make it, um, you know, the place where you go and exercise, whatever, just, but that's your s- s- sacred space. Now, some, some abusive relationships will not allow for that. So, you know, everyone's abuser is different. And like mine would have let me do that. I mean, he wouldn't have liked it, but he wouldn't, it's not like I I wasn't getting beat up for doing things. Um, I would have had some negativity on his part, but it was all, it was all covert and subtle. But even a closet, do you know what I mean? Even a, um, even, even a closet, if JK Rowling wrote her first couple of Harry Potter books in a closet while her baby was sleeping in the bedroom, you can take a tiny little closet and make it yours and just yes. make it. It doesn't have to be as grandiose or as extreme as as decorating your bedroom. It could be something really tiny. But I think the thing is to be able to create a space where you feel good because that's part of as you start being able to plug up these holes that have been drilled in your vessel it's a place where you can go and just the environment helps pour into you. You know what this is reminding me though, Natalie, like we're talking about physical space, but I'd say clothing is part of this as well. Oh, yes. You've told me a story before about your first experience when you were, once you were remarried and you went out and bought clothes. I'd love to hear that story again. Well, I remember even before I was divorced, we had just separated and I never really... When it comes to dressing and stuff, I really didn't, I'm not very good at it. Okay. Um, and I just never had the time and I, I hate shopping. But I actually paid someone to um, come into my home and go through my closet. And I, so I had my own business at the time. So I was, I was going to mention this later, but I'll just bring it up now. One of my perks for me was have, I had my own business when I was married, but, but I still did not have control over the finances. I had to give all of the, I could spend money on the kids, like homeschooling materials, and I could buy them clothes. Um, I could contribute to paying off our house. I could buy my husband a car, but I wasn't allowed to just go out and, on a shopping spree for myself. You and had an so, allowance, um, right? Like you had, you had some fairly uptight financial abuse. You had like $25 a month or something that you could spend on makeup <laughs> and feminine products and stuff yeah, like that. It was $50 a month. Yeah. So, oh um, now, so, so what I decided to do is I paid this woman, this professional, she came in and she redid my closet. She showed me that my whole closet was basically black and gray. I had not noticed that, but, um, that's how I was dressing, no colors. And she, and then she took me shopping and she showed me where to shop and what kinds of things would fit my body type and all of that kind of stuff. So I actually bought some clothes then, and I started dressing a little bit differently. Um, my husband was not living in our house at the time. But he was very, or actually, no, maybe, I think maybe he still was. We were kind of physically separated in our home for a year before we 
before we actually really separated. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think that was when he was still living there. I can't remember. Anyway, um, he was not happy about that, but, um, I remember one time I, now I'm remarried. Um, I used to, so when I would go shopping, I'm sorry, I'm getting all fragmented here, but in my past life, if I went shopping, oh, I have to tell you the story. Okay. I have to tell you the story. My mother took my sisters and I for one of my sister's 40th birthday on a shopping spree. And she gave us each a thousand dollars to spend. I was, I know we went to the mall of America and we, we each spent a thousand dollars. Now I buy, I bought practical things. I needed a pair of winter boots. I needed a winter coat, all these things that I needed. And I bought those things. But when I brought them home, I was so nervous coming in the door. And sure enough, my husband was upset that I had all of these things. He thought that I should have put it in savings. He thought that I should have used it for something different. He was not happy that I used it for a winter coat and that kind of thing. So that's just an example of what my life was before. So recently I went shopping and I still, even though I'm remarried and I'm out, I'm still just really paranoid about shopping for myself. I went shopping and I blew $500 on clothes because I had, my wardrobe basically sucks. and. I decided, you know what? I'm gonna buy some. I'm gonna buy clothes that I actually like instead of bargains, and I'm just gonna, I'm gonna buy beautiful clothes. It feels good. I have to interject. Oh my gosh! It It feels like people who think that they hate shopping can may they may discover after they're out that they don't actually like they hate shopping (laughs) with the constraints that they've had or the 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 you know consequences of shopping that they had to deal with before. Yeah, but it's fun to spend money and and look the way you want to look. It's really fun. Right, right. And you have to, you know, obviously we have to live within our budget, but I had sold my business and I had some finances I could do this with. So anyway, I came home and I, even when I was driving into the driveway, my instinct was to hide my bags and not show my my, my husband's name is Tom right now. He's an amazing, amazing man. He would never, ever criticize me for anything. But, but still, that was my knee-jerk reaction from living with this other situation for 25 years. And I came in and he, my husband says to me, what, did you go shopping? And I said, yeah. No way, show me what you got. I'm so excited. And he was so excited to see the things that I had purchased. Yeah, excited to see them on me. Excited that I got to do the, it. Proud of me for actually going out and doing this because he knows that this is not the kind of thing that I am apt prone to do. And it was just such a healing experience for me, and also just very mind blowing for me. So for me, one of my perks is just the financial freedom that I have to um, work a full time job. And actually, not be afraid or nervous or feel guilty for for spending something for spending money on myself or for buying something for my home. Yeah, I've had the same experience. Um, in fact, one this like kind of it sticks in my memory at the point where past the point of no return with my ex husband, we were in the process of divorce, and he was in the house over Christmas, and he looked at me and he said with rancor, he said. What you better not be going out and and getting all pretty now, and wow. you know which is which is so twisted, right? Because he's like both calling you ugly or homely or something, or saying you don't dress well. But he's also saying it, it was the control thing. He did not want me looking nice now that I was divorcing him. Right? It was like a blow right. to him. Right. But I had the same experience as you, 
Um, I went out and bought clothes for a, a trip that I was taking recently. And I came home. I've been um, dating the same man for a year and a half now. And I got to do a little fashion show for him. And, and, and I, would come out of the, I would come out of the bathroom dressed in this thing. And he's just like sitting there adoring me and celebrating the fact that I looked so nice and that I was so happy and I wore things that made me feel good. Like he's celebrating me, right? Yes. See, women blossom under the love of a man. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's beautiful. <laughs> okay, did you have anything? Did you have any other um, perks that you wanted to share? Well, I do. So, friendships is something that that is different from what we talked about so far. And you know, in, in this world of Christian, I say, I say quote quote Christian falseness, where you're trying to only honor your husband. I had so many walls inside my close female relationships. Like I had a, I, I've never had a ton of friends, but I, I've always been the kind of person who just, you know, one or two, three really good friends. I'm great. Like I don't need a lot of friends. Yeah. But even my very closest friend, I had known her for probably two years. She had no idea what was happening in my marriage. She knew that sometimes when she, saw me, like she could tell that there was something wrong, but I would only ever kind of hint at things because I wanted to maintain this air of, you know, perfection from the outside because it like, you can't, I didn't even want to acknowledge that I had a miserable marriage to myself, much less say that in front of a friend. So even with my closest friendships, there was no transparency. I had this wall that I had built around myself and my personal life and not even my closest friends could get through it. They didn't even know that there was anything inside the wall. They didn't know there was a wall. But since then, I have just become such a transparent person. And with my closest friends, I can share my ugly and my mistakes. And I, you know, my my closest friends know like lots of stories about the things that happened in my, in my ugly marriage. And it's not that I dwell in ugliness, but like my friends are there to celebrate with me when things are good. And they're they're there to cry with me when things aren't good. And like, it's just authentic relationships that I have now. Yes. There's kind of a theme running throughout this whole podcast episode. And what, and it is that when you are free you are free to be you. You're comfortable in your own skin. You're free to discover really, you know, Jesus or God created you, Jenny, and anyone and everyone listening. He created you unique and special. And abuse destroys that creation. And coming out of abuse allows that creation to be reborn again and just and um and to blossom again. And that makes God, that pleases our creator. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think a piece of that too, Natalie, is, you know, God did not, he made us to live in community with other people. And Satan is the accuser. And Satan is the one who wants to ostracize and to remove us from real, authentic love and forgiveness and happiness. 
And so by being able to have these more transparent relationships, it really is a place where, you know, through my friends, I feel the love and the grace of God now. Yeah. And I may have been projecting that onto these past friendships where I, I, I did not let that wall down at all, but I always felt a little air of condemnation and I couldn't even share my own mistakes because I was afraid of judgment. So being free in my personal life, being free from abuse has just opened me up to just, just like myself and, and yeah. to accept the, the ugly because everybody's got it. Yes, exactly. The good and the bad together. This is very good. Um, a, a, another note on that vein is that abuse neutralizes our power too. Our power mm-hmm. as Christians it, and freedom empowers us to become all that God created us to be, to do mm-hmm. the things that he, you know, to fulfill the destiny that he created us for. And yes. Satan does not, doesn't want that to happen. So, um, just yeah. Remember. And I think along those lines, and this is probably my final, you know, real perk is an open relationship with God. Now, and I was at the point, I've been a believer since I was like 11 years old, but it was, it was this very law following. I, I was definitely saved. I mean, the, the fruits of the spirit were there. I could see, um, you know, I was really passionate about Christ when I was a teenager. Um, but I would say that I was at the point at the very end of my marriage where I almost, I was this close to becoming a deist, believing that God had created the world and had set it spinning in motion and then kind of backed off to watch. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. He wasn't daily involved in my life. And I prayed, I could never feel his presence. You know, sometimes when the music was really powerful at church, I would have a sense of God in that building there. But as far as my personal life, I was so afraid of breaking the rules, like pouring over scripture to to even see if, like, is this abuse? When I left, I wasn't a hundred percent sure. I did not really know, um, but I knew that I couldn't live that way anymore. And I finally came to a place of such brokenness, where I said, God loves me. And even if this is the biggest mistake of my life, even if divorcing is against God's will, even if I'm making him angry, let's say by, by divorcing, I have to trust that he will still be there. Like he loves on some basic level. I could not feel it. I couldn't feel it at all. But with head knowledge, I knew enough about God to know that he's a redeemer. And that he was going to be with me afterwards. Now, I had no hope. I had no hope of ever being remarried, of ever dating anybody, of ever having any kind of feeling personal love from another person. I, I mean, you remember, Natalie. You know, you remember that part because I've known you for a while now. Um, but it wasn't... It was probably in the the few weeks after I I started filing, after I filed for divorce, after I found a lawyer and got the initial paperwork started, the Holy Spirit started just really becoming vivid to me. And I would get 
random encouragement and text messages from people that I didn't even know of the same exact scripture that I had read that morning in my quiet time. I started feeling urges from the Holy Spirit to do good, like to do good in specific cases, right? I I would see a need and be like, okay, God, that sounds like fun. Let's do this thing. And just being overwhelmingly blessed with, I mean, just joy in doing the things that the Holy Spirit had been nudging me to do. Mm-hmm. So I went from this place that was very, you know, like in the Wizard of Oz, where the whole first section is in black and white and, you know, Dust Bowl, Kansas, everything, yep. everything's really bleak, the tornado's coming, to Technicolor. Like my, my yeah. spiritual experience, my spirit experience with God, I feel like, you know, I was saved at 11, but I, I had a growth spurt. I had like shot up to where I could feel God's sunshine. Like I'm thinking kind of a breaking through a forest canopy, you know, like in the really deep, dark, dense jungle and suddenly breaking through the top of the forest canopy and feeling sunshine on me. Mm, That's a great picture. And the fresh air. And like, it was like being reborn. Yeah. And it it was it was pretty dramatic. I mean, all that happened in the space of of a couple of weeks where suddenly I felt like I was not left behind. Like I was on this adventure with God. And there was there was definitely some huge scary moments. There was some intimidation. There's been a lot of hard things that have come since then. But I felt like I finally felt like the hero of my own story. Like I am on this journey. God is right beside me. He is with me. He is shining a flashlight, not as far in front of my feet as I would like, <laughs> but he's shining a light on the next couple of steps in front of me. And he's with me. And like, I'm excited about the future. And I don't know what's happening next, but I, I know now looking back through all the hell that I went through in my marriage, that I went through to get out of that marriage I know that if he was with me in that, he is with me now. So my faith just had a complete renovation through the process of getting divorced. Like I had, I've had a lot of personal and emotional growth, but spiritual growth as well. That's amazing. I, um, I want to close by saying that I, a, a couple of hours ago, I just tweeted and asked any divorcees on Twitter if they wanted to share some of the, the perks that they've experienced being divorced. And I wanted to read a few of their things. Um, cause these are just quick things. We won't talk about them anymore cause we need to wrap this up. But, um, one person said my sanity peace, freedom, ability to pursue trauma therapy and healing, mm. not needing to be hypervigilant, viewing the future with hope, feeling much better physically, emotionally, spiritually, mentally, positive impact on children. It has been like coming back from the dead for me. Mm. Um, another person said, I have a new partner who came out of a narcissistic marriage too. We understand each other's histories and we know how to love each other excellently. Memories of my past are disappearing quickly and I have a whole new life ahead of me at 50. Another person said, yeah. And you know, I've noticed that an age, you're a lot younger, Jenny, but a lot of us, we just waited until now we're in our fifties and this is happening, but there is new life even in your fifties and sixties and seventies. 
Another one said, slowly realizing the only negative voice or mood or look comes from my cat. And she's yeah. sued. <laughs> That's my favorite. <laughs> realizing people really do like me and I'm not an embarrassment or a social idiot. Oh, yeah. And then um, making my own decisions without having to constantly contemplate what decision would make him happy, keep mm. him happy and not upset him. Always having to be on the alert. Um, another one, accomplishing things that he told me that I was incapable of, slowly losing his voice in my head and second guessing everything I say and do. So I think we would have had a lot more, you know, that was just two hours ago. Those were the, all the answers that came in. Um, I think a lot of listeners could chime in and give their own answers. And um, there are other listeners who are thinking, I hope that this podcast gives you hope that, um, that if you did decide to pursue divorce, that it wouldn't be the end of the world and your, um, you know, your life would not, as you know it now, would not end. Actually, it would end, but you would have a, a better life afterwards. This is not to say I don't want to give the impression that walking through divorce or even that life post-divorce is all a bed of roses because it's not. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of healing that has to be done. This is a long process and it takes years. I'm just saying that for many of us, divorce has been a very healing experience in the long run. And it's been so much better than living in an abusive relationship for so many years. So um, I want to say thank you, Jenny, for being with us today. I think this has been a really great episode. And I I think it's going to be really helpful for a lot of people. So thank you for putting some time and effort and thought into this and for being with us. Thank you, Natalie. You are a blessing And I am in the Flying Free membership group. It has been an honor to be ministered to in that group and um, to then be able through my healing inside that group to be able to turn back around and minister to other people that are kind of coming up behind me. It is such a cool place to be. So I know you weren't weren't asking for this, but I'm going to give a shameless plug because, (laughs) you know, you can go to, you can go to counseling, you can go to therapy but it's not the same as just being with other women that will validate your story, that believe you and that are there with you to celebrate and to cry both all together. So Natalie, I have the utmost respect for what you have done in putting that group together. And I just like to invite anybody the next time membership is open, please join. It is a fantastic decision. Thank you, Jenny. Um, So on that note, actually, If you want to learn more, you can go to my website, flyingfreenow.com. I'll give you the first three chapters of my book for free if you sign up at the top of my website. And if this podcast is talking about things that are of interest to you and that are important to you, and you know that there are other people out there that need this kind of message, please share it. Um, I, I just noticed today, I got a message today that my podcast is actually going up in the rankings on Apple iTunes. And so if you leave a rating there and uh, even give some words of encouragement to why this podcast has meant something to you, that will help the podcast go further up in rate in ratings and it will actually make it easier for people to find it, people like you to find it. So please do that. And thank you for joining us. And until next time, fly free.